0: So as you can see on the screen, it's uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62, uh, titled in the Bible, Samaritan Opposition, followed by the cost of following Jesus. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, This is the word of the Lord. Just pray for John today. Lord, we thank you for John. We thank you that uh, he's blessed us with his presence this morning and he's blessed us at this church. And we just ask, Lord, that you fill him with your spirit and that he gives a good one. Thank you. <laughs> Amen.
1: Thanks, Dominic. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's great. It is great to be with you. Whether you determine it a blessing or not, we'll see in a few moments' time. Um, it's really good to be with you. And um, I, I was chatting with my uh, son and his friends in the car. I was picking them up from um, a youth event that they'd been at down in London yesterday. And I picked them up as the dutiful father, and I, uh, you know, uh, chatted to them about their day and all the rest. Of it. What have you been doing today, Dad? I said, well, I've been finishing off my sermon. And his friend piped up and said, um, oh, what passage is it? I thought, oh, this is, this is good. They want more. They've been, you know, having a great time uh, with Jesus down in London. They were at a Christian conference thing. And I said, um, well, I told him the passage, which because I've sat with it for a while, I know quite a lot of it um, by heart, especially this bit about the cost of discipleship. And uh, his friend, when I told him and read out the bits and explained to him about the cost of discipleship, he said, it's gonna be hard to put a positive spin on that, isn't it? And I thought, out of the mouth of a 15-year-old boy, there is some truth in that. I might actually explain a bit of why I've struggled and wrestled and reread and reread this passage, because I want it to say something that it doesn't say. I want it, as Steve said, it doesn't say what you want it to say. It's a bit frustrating, isn't it, John? Yeah. So like, yeah, it is frustrating, because it says something that is quite challenging, doesn't it? It says something that is quite challenging. I was going to, at the start of this week, call it journeying with Jesus. I thought that sounded so nice. Bit fluffy though, and a bit comfortable. And actually, if we flick back and look at the start of chapter nine, it says this. If you've got your Bibles with you, do have a little look through with me. Um, But uh, by all means, don't don't feel that you have to because I'm gonna literally a whistle-stop tour. Verses one to nine, Jesus sends out the 12. He does some other sending at the start of chapter 10. And the message of that is take nothing. Uh, Verse 10 to 17, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He takes our nothing, and makes it something. Verse 18 to 20, Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one over everything. Verse 21 to 27, Jesus predicts his death where he will become nothing. Verse 28 to 36, the transfiguration. Wow, this Jesus is really something. Verse 37 to 43, Jesus healed Jesus is involved with transformation. And verse 44 to 45, Jesus predicts his death again, and 46 to 50, welcomes the little children. Jesus becomes nothing, yet he welcomes everyone. And for me, the message is clear. Jesus wants our everything. Jesus wants our everything. And as I have moved with this passage through the week and struggled to think of um, how we might land this and think about it, we get this sense, do we not, of movement. There is a sense of moving on. We are not, as disciples of Jesus, to st- stay still. We join in with the movement of Jesus in his life-saving work. And we pick this theme up on our weekend away. Um, a, a lady called Tours came and spoke to us and uh, she, what she talked about was the fact that we as Christians are involved in a movement. We are not static. We are not benign. We are called to be on the move. And so, with that in mind, three thoughts for us this morning moving on from failure, moving on without distraction, and moving on with renewed passion. And so we pick this story of movement up at the end of this chapter nine. We know that this is the point where Jesus starts his journey towards Jerusalem. The reading is relatively short, but it starts with Jesus setting out towards Jerusalem on a journey where we know the ending. Verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And resolutely is translated as a Greek word called sterizo or sterizo, and it means final. It means to set fast, to go in a certain position and direction. But interested as I am in words and what they mean and how they can mean slightly different things in different contexts, I looked up where else we find it in the New Testament. And in Romans 1.11, it's taken to mean it makes you strong, to stand immovable. In Luke 16.26, that which has been set in place. In 2 Peter 1.12, So while I always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly sterizo, firmly established in the truth you now have. So is your discipleship direction of travel firmly established? Is it set towards where it should be? And in verse 52, we get this curious encounter with um, the Samaritan village. He sent messengers on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. And then these disciples, these group of people, this group of men that have been with him, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I mean, it's the only logical response, isn't it? When you meet a bit of opposition, we call down fire to destroy. And then I found myself thinking, I may not have used those words, but I might well have wanted ill for my enemies. I might wanted to have, when I reached opposition, to maybe not call down fire, but actually think about that. We have this situation that we don't like. And we know that at the heart of it is a person. I'm not sure we want God's best for them. And we write off the disciples so many times, they're portrayed, aren't they, as hapless dolts, you know, imbeciles. And yet they were used to build the church. Gareth has a great phrase, bozo. They're bozos. And uh, he talks about the disciples. He doesn't talk about the disciples, but the, the New Testament often refers to these disciples as people that don't understand what's going on. And so when we talk about the disciples, we place ourselves in their place. And we understand, don't we, that when we say we want to call down fire from on heaven, from heaven to destroy them, what it's like is things haven't gone our way. Things haven't gone the way that we expect. But what I love about this is that Jesus turns and rebukes them, but then this verse 56 says, then he and his disciples went to another village. And it sounds quite innocuous. Then he and his disciples went to another village. They just move on. They have this failure, this experience, this challenge, but they don't dwell in the failure. Oh, well. God must be out to get me. There must be a problem. The problem might be me. Let me just have a drink. Apologies for the sound, I'll just turn that away. And some of us, and I genuinely sense this, and it was Tuesday this week when this came to me, that some of us are stuck in that village, Some of us are stuck with our fears and our failures, and we can't move on. Some of us struggle. We're in verse 54, or we're in verse 55, and we haven't quite got to verse 56. And he and his disciples went to another village. We don't make mistakes, our defining characteristics And the thing is, is if we stay in that place of failure, Jesus has long gone. Jesus has moved on, and we're not walking with him anymore. So we're called, I think, to move on from our failure. And we're also called to move on without distraction, Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds like great disciple, sounds like a great follower. Verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Understand the cost. Understand that life will be far from simple or easy or fluffy, or nice. There is a cost to this mission. And we don't have to go far to count the cost. We've had in a prayer update how people have given their lives for the savior that they call friend. We've heard this week of people choosing martyrdom rather than be taken to Mali to be trained as terrorists. The cost is profound and requires our lives, and in some cases, our physical lives. Either way, the message is the same. Don't be blasé, don't be laissez-faire. That approach to discipleship won't cut it. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. If you're sat there not feeling uncomfortable with those two verses... I challenge you to see the enormity of it, who amongst us wouldn 't bury our father and i 've heard sermons preached on this several times where it softened slightly. Well, what was really going on was this: what was really going on is the, the father wasn 't dead yet, and basically he had to wait around and you know wait for him to die so it 's actually like he was trying to delay his disciples. i think Part of me just wants to say, I think it says what it says. And the temptation to soften it comes from a place of us not being willing to give our all. And as somebody who stood here, who has buried his father, as I'm sure a number of you have, the enormity of that sinks in. But I don't think that Jesus is anti-funeral. I don't think that Jesus is calling us not to bury our relatives. I don't think he's anti-grief. I do think he's anti-excuse. And this is the first of two, but first in this passage. and We'll walk closer with you, Jesus, but first let me tend to this. I'll be your best disciple ever, Jesus, but I just need to sort this out. The hymn wouldn't sound quite the same if we sang, I surrender some, would it? I surrender some. Some to Jesus, I surrender. It wouldn't sound quite right. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And the message of these interactions, I think, is this don't give Jesus the leftovers. Don't give Jesus the leftovers. Instead of, but first. It's first choose me. And there is something about following Jesus that has been reduced to squeezing him in when we feel we have the time. We want Jesus as a companion, but not a challenge. We want his friendship, but not necessarily to follow and all that that means, especially if we go into difficult places. Although some of us, we do cling to Jesus in times of difficulty, but we also love Jesus when things are going well. But in the relatively normal experience of our day-to-day lives, we aren't really too fussed. We can have a discipleship a mile wide and an inch deep. But I wonder is our discipleship evident in our lives in each and every area, our relationships? Our mealtimes, our place of work, our journeys home, in the car, wherever we are, as we wake and go to sleep. And I stand before you as someone who hasn't got this right. But we aren't living this Christian life on our own. And so we do need to move on without distraction. And this is where I wrestled a bit, because we always have distractions, We always have things that come into our lives that take us away from the main thing. There are the distractions we create and there are distractions that we have no choice over. Either way, we come back to a God who wants to be in relationship with us. I think the challenge is to keep these distractions in their proper place. Is Christ our constant companion, even with the distractions? We don't want to give Jesus our leftovers. And so we move on from failure quickly and resolutely. We move on from distractions resolutely. We move on with renewed passion. So we resolutely move on with renewed passion, God-given moments of encounter, following not just a fuzzy feeling, not just the last church weekend, which if you weren't there was fantastic. It was great experience, lots of nods around the room, and a great sense of being together. But if it just stays as a weekend, well, we've had a great big bless me up. That's not great for us has the experience deepened our lifelong commitment to Jesus-honoring discipleship? Daniel McGinnis, one of the speakers, spoke of the idea that mission emerges out of spiritual passion. But we know that 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 mission requires a movement towards God on our part. How are we following Jesus? Have we invited him to every aspect of our lives? Have we taken up and taken seriously this invitation to take nothing but bring everything? To take nothing and yet bring everything. There is a lot of talk these days about leadership. If you were to look on Amazon and um, see the different book titles that there are on leadership, you could buy Leadership Plain and Simple. You could buy the little book of big management theories. You could even buy the humbly entitled Leaders Eat Last, which sounds really quite nice until you sort of read the strapline, which implies that it's about manipulating people. Um, Then you've got Turn the Ship Around, a true story of turning followers into leaders. How to lead smart people intrigued me. I I wonder whether or not I was one of those. Lots of stuff on leadership, not a massive amount on followership. And, you know, for those of us that are called to lead in whatever area, our leadership needs to come from a renewed followership. And so the challenge is, can we move on together with renewed passion, without distraction, move on from our failures into ever-increasing close discipleship with Jesus? Our prayer is that we increase our followership potential and that we strengthen our followership In Him? Is our face set towards our goal? Is it established? Is it set fast? Is it focused? Because we are called to take nothing but bring everything. Let's pray. I wrote this prayer in my journal on um, Wednesday or Thursday this week, and I just thought it would be helpful for us, so let's see. Lord, who knows what today will bring? let alone the mystery of this week, this month, or this year. I pray that we will not be distracted from you. I will not allow petty thoughts and tasks take away from you. Life is full of distractions. Help us be distracted by you. Captivate us, shape us, use us. Lord, bring about your renewal and transformation in our lives. By your Holy Spirit's power, would you come down on us now so that we are consumed by you. Hold each thought captive. Hold each step surrendered. Hold us as your servants in the palm of your hand. And never let us go. Amen.